Thank you. We love you so much. It's such an honor to be here. The truth is, we're here, we've come here to encourage you and to say thank you and well done for the way you lead and for the example that you set. You know, contrary to what is often believed, our gospel was not a call for the rich to help the poor. It was a call for the person who had two to give to the person who had nothing. It was a call for the one who had extra to redistribute to the person who lacked. It was a call for equality amongst believers. Luke 3 verse 11 shows us his standard. If you have two shirts, give one of them to the poor. If you have food, share some with the person who is hungry. We see the same in Acts verse 4. Believers meeting together day after day and there were no needy among them. Why? Because the person who owned land and houses would sell them to meet the needs of their brothers. Church, our world does not have a problem of lack. Our world has a problem of distribution. We have people who have too much and who are hoarding it from the people who do not have enough. And the answer is the body of Christ living as the body of Christ. We are the ones that God has called to see justice. So you humble us because somehow you have done it. Somehow you've managed to live in the world and not be consumed by it. Not be consumed by more and me and stuff. You are a message to the world. You are a message to the church. Good evening, church. We always speak together. It's just the way we do it. So we're going to bounce off each other tonight. Um, but I do have a stool there for myself in case she goes for it, which I think might just happen tonight. <laughs> Thank you. I love our conference theme from Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Can we get that on the screen? I'm sure you know it because you might have heard it over and over. But what a theme. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. Let's look at that. We're going to talk to you about two things tonight, church. Being crushed. We want to tell you that the poor are being crushed on this earth right now. They are being crushed because they are poor. But look at this that I love. Ensure justice. See that they get justice. We haven't been given a mandate just to have a heart for the poor, to care, to be moved emotionally. We have been given a command and a mandate from God to see it through. See that they get justice. Speak up, make noise, ruffle feathers until they get justice. We have a command for a result and an outcome on this earth. Church, there is evil. There is a crushing. 
I was doing a Bible study once and a boy said, Josh, we're poor. Does that mean God's against us? I said, no, baby. This whole gospel is for the poor. Jesus came as a poor man. In fact, it's the rich in this world that have to look out. Gods are not against you. There are people in prison today because they're poor. The people that report them know that they can get away with it. Who's going to speak up for them? The police know that they can get away with it and the judges have no problem in putting the poor away. No one is going to argue their case. They're in prison for stealing something small while people who have stolen millions are walking around free. Who's going to speak up for them? The poor are being crushed. I'm going to do my best to describe for you, with words, the crushing weight of injustice on the poor, as best I can. It starts on the day you're born, when you're given the name Maramang. Whose son is this? Mosuwa, the day I died. It's when you grow up in a family accused of being someone else's son. So you're told daily, don't touch my food. Or even worse, when your mum brings home my stepfather who's furious at having to support a kid that isn't his. Get out of my house. And then you have to wonder, why does he want my sister so bad? It's when a little boy You're a tiny little boy and your mum visits family in another district, leaving you with your stepfather. You're HIV negative when she leaves. You're HIV positive when she returns. No one asks why. Or when you're 10 years old and your mum sends you into town to buy bread, which is just long enough for her to pack up the house and disappear before you can find her. It's the indignity of petty theft that warrants you being tied to a tree and anyone in the community who walks past can beat you or throw rocks at your head. Who else but the poor needs to steal a loaf of bread? It's the indignity of looking poor in a culture where cleanliness is the highest value, where being poorly dressed means no one's going to buy fruit from your store. The crushing injustice of poverty is when you are seven years old and your mum needs to sell her body to provide for you. But you live in one room. So night after night, you share a mattress with your mum and a different man. And when you can't cope any longer, you decide to start standing outside your house all night long but you really want to go to school because you see your way out. But when you get to school late, you get mocked and whipped by your teacher in front of your classmates because you're late and you haven't bathed. This is not Lesotho-only church. This is the evil that we are surrounded by in our world. This is the crushing evil of poverty the world over, even here. Will we stand up? Will we become so offended by poverty that we will defend the poor? 
It is up to us. It is our responsibility. It is on us. Do you think we need to be polite when we're speaking up against this sort of evil? No. We speak up. We make noise until we're heard. Does it annoy people? You bet it does. But we are committed and persistent until we see it through. As a believer, it's on us. I remember my first experience when I met children. I was surrounded and I knew this is in front of my face. I don't need to pray about this. It's my responsibility. There's a command. See it through. See it through. We make noise. We are offensive and we are not polite. And we will not shut up. And when I say we, I mean we will not shut up until we see justice. Some kids were arrested because they were poor. A policeman was bored one day and went from one end of town to the other when we first got there and started rounding up kids. And I followed them. And long story short, I made a lot of noise. Um, I was not polite. I'm glad you didn't see it. I shouted a lot. You've arrested them only because they're poor. They've done nothing wrong. The end of that story is they got let go and I got arrested and charged and beaten. I'm okay with that. Speak up until you see justice. The next time the police came and did that, I knew if I go, I'm going to cause trouble for them. So that's okay. It's not just me. It's not just Belinda. We have a team full of people who stand up and who fight. So one of our team members, she's about this high, but fire inside of her. She marched into that police station and said, you get those kids out of there. They said, what kids? There are no kids here. She says, I know they're here. I saw them upstairs. You get them out of here. Please think no one's going to come and fight for these kids. They're insignificant. Who would care about these kids? Their lives don't matter. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. They matter to God. They matter to us. They were young people created for a purpose. We will fight. We will speak up. I don't care who we offend. It's not just me. It's not Belinda. It's not just Mabatu. One of our team members heard about a child who was heartbroken who had a father who was in the city. And we found that father who was not providing anything. The family was destitute. He had left them. Were we polite? No, we weren't. She followed him all day. He tried to brush her off. And when I say all day, church, I mean she followed him all day and did not stop talking until there was justice done. He said, come back tomorrow, I'll pay you. She said, no, you're going to do it now. Let's go to the bank now. She walked around and followed him, followed him. She said, we're going to your work. I'm going with you until this child gets provided for. Hmm. This same person saw a, a child getting picked up by a mob in town. He had done something or was accused of something and the mob was intent on violence. They had grabbed the child. They were dragging him back to the chief's house and they were going to deliver justice and beat him, making sport of a young kid. And what did she do? She followed. She did not stop making noise. In a culture where a, a woman shouldn't speak to men like that or challenge the authority once something is established, she followed, got the child back. You say, we will deal with this one. We will fight. And God has taught us Whatever is in front of us that is unjust, it's on us. 
If you see something, it's on you to see the justice through. It might be another kid in your child's class. It's on you. So we saw kids on the street and we knew it was on us to get them back in homes. When they were in school and we saw that they were being victimised for being poor, it was on us to fix. We started a school for boys. We then heard about girls in our village, 12-year-old girls prostituting themselves. It was on us to see the justice. We have a girls' school. And then we started discovering young women in our village who had never completed school and who were being exploited as free labour in homes. Basically, they were slaves. They had no one to defend for them, to fend for them. So they were brought in by a family member. They said, you don't belong to anyone else. You can come and work for us and you can work for your food. We found hundreds of them, hundreds. And I won't go into the full story of what we did, but we said, you are going to achieve something. And we were able to bring them in and give them skills training. We negotiated their release to come to Sapeu to get a new qualification. They were shells of people, broken. I can't explain how it started, but I can show you where it finished. I can show you what justice looks like. I've told you about the fight. Let me show you how it finishes. We have a very short video here. Can we play that one? This is them graduating. Hundreds and hundreds of them now. See, we don't need to tell them that they are created for a purpose. They know it. They know it. Something else came in front of our face last year. In fact, all of our faces, didn't it? COVID. COVID hit. In our village, we have the poorest of the poor, really. Um, Days work. For a day's food. When a lockdown was announced, we knew straight away this is going to be devastating for our community. And we knew that as soon as they slid that bolt closed on the door, as soon as lockdown was enforced, whatever was in that house was what they had, with no way of getting more. It's on us. It was, it's a team back home who know we're not food distribution people. We don't know what to do. About, we're not logisticians. We don't know how to go about doing this stuff. But one thing we did know, it's on us. It's on us. <laughs> we have the Holy Spirit. It's on us. No one more powerful is coming along. So we found out about lockdown on Thursday night. Mm. 
and locked down and was studying on Sunday. And our team said to us, no one has soap. How will they ever protect themselves against COVID if they can't afford soap? And they said, we've got two days. Can we buy soap for 5,000 families? We have no way of getting it to them except on foot. But if you buy it, we will walk it to 5,000 homes over the next two days and make sure every single family has soap. Can we get a photo of our team up on there? I want to show you the people that had courage to get to 5,000 homes in two days. And then we said, how are we going to keep people safe on an ongoing basis? We don't know how long this lockdown is going to occur. So we said, let's build hand washing stations and put them all throughout the village and let's do it in two days. So we did. We don't have to have photo. <laughs> so we did. And then we started to hear about starvation. So we were pretty set. We help on average a couple of hundred families at a time. So we knew quite comfortably we could fundraise to support our kids. And that was the plan. And we had, we felt some boldness in this situation. We got the team together and said, team, I think if we try hard, we can feed 500 families in our village, the most needy. And they said, yeah, all right, I, I think we can do that. And I said, can you get us a list of the 500 families in most need? And they did that, came back. We've got them. They said, the problem is when we've got these 500, we can't distinguish them from really anyone else. It's, it would just be random picking 500. And so again, in boldness, we said, okay, team, we are gonna do a thousand families in our village. Which, can I tell you, we didn't have money for the 500 families, but we certainly didn't for the 1,000. Like, it's not that we had money sitting there allocated for something else and redirected it. No money. We said, all right, let's do it. So they said, all right, we're on it. Let's do it. As what they were planning for, we were about to do it on the Monday and the Sunday we got news that a truck, a food truck that was coming in just up the road from us, guarded by police and soldiers, was turned away because there was too much chaos, mayhem and violence, that they couldn't get the food out. And we said, well, that changes the plan, doesn't it? Because you see the team, no guns. We were on a Zoom conference call mm. and we were asked about what we were going to do for our village and out of our heart came, well, of course, we're going to feed the whole village. We had nothing. But does anyone remember an example that Jesus set for us in his word? When his disciples came to him with a very similar problem. Jesus, there are 5,000 people, plus women, plus children, 5,000 families. The very same problem we faced. What did Jesus tell them? You feed them. You do it. That's the command. You do it. You do it. And we set it on, online, live, on air. And we got off and we said, I guess we're doing it. I guess we're doing it. I have no plan. Do you know how we're going to do it? We didn't know how we were going to do it. Because, I mean, even because we added up how much it would be in, in an astronomical number that we had never been able to fundraise, fundraise before. Like just well beyond our capacity. So what do you do when you don't have enough? You take your first step. That's what we did. Let's plan as if we have it. And let's watch God provide as we walk. Mm -hmm. 
It is a lesson we have learned over and over and over in Sepeo. Obedience first, provision follows. Rarely does it occur the other way. If God has called you to do something, obey first. That provision will never come otherwise. Step, Mm -hmm. step, step. And we did. We started to plan for 9,000 houses. We started to plan by mapping out our villages. We started to plan by meeting 33 chiefs responsible for those villages and figuring out how on earth we were going to deliver that much food. So every month we are given 200 kilos of maize meal, which is cornmeal, the main staple. We're given 200 kilos. For this, we needed 120 tonnes, 120,000 kilograms. (laughs) We get given 200 in a month. Um, That's intimidating for, for us too, but not for the God we serve. And so we got off that call. It was like a live stream with a church. And we looked at each other and went, oh. But then the pastors got in touch with us and said, look, we'd, we'd just like to give a seed towards that. Don't know how much you've got already. I'm like, um, <laughs> but we'd like to give a, a, a thousand. I'm like, wow. We went to sleep the next morning. We got an email from a mining company in South Africa that said, we want to do something. What can we do? Um, can we give money? You, you sure can. <laughs> you know our account details, go for it. And it started to come in. And so our team started delivering cards around the villages saying, come to this place at this time on this day and you will receive food. They were doing that house to house, went to every house, met with 9,000 homes, 35,000 people and told them that their food was coming, still without all the money. And then finally, we had enough and the order was placed. We had our date set for distribution. Quite a big thing when you think about it. So many people lining up for food at 30 different distribution points around our village. We were ready to go. I thought this was perfectly and beautifully planned. Our team was so diligent with how they did it. And then at midnight, just before the feeding, well, I knew at eight o'clock the next morning, some very desperate people would be lining up to get some food. At midnight, the flour mill called me and said, Josh, um, we don't have food. We can't fill your order. Um, Maybe another week, we don't know. At that point, something came within me, because normally I would negotiate and fight. Something within me said, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers and evil. And I just knew "This this is evil, this is not poor planning on our part. This is evil, and I hated the devil in that moment. I think he wants to take food out of the mouths of hungry people. But who knows that our God cares about hungry stomachs, the stress that people feel when they can't feed their kids. So we said, I said, thanks, sir, for trying. I'll call you tomorrow. And immediately we just started texting people, and we say, pray, pray, pray. And we prayed probably for about two hours until we felt a peace that it was going to be okay. Seven o'clock, the team calls me, Josh, what are we going to do? We'd already paid for the trucks. I said, send the trucks. Seven o'clock in the morning, you send the trucks, that flour mill. Our God cares about the hungry. So we got our next photos up, and then I started getting photos through on WhatsApp. Ding, 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 ding. As trucks turned up and got filled with everything they needed. Look at this. Do you think our God cares about the poor? Do you think he cares about justice? 
Do you think he cares about something seemingly as insignificant as hunger? I can tell you, and you can see it, you bet he does. Look at this. And we can keep going because the food started going out to people as they needed it. As the body of Christ, we hold the answer to the crushing weight of injustice. We do not bow to it. We do not cower before the intimidation of it. As the church, we are the only ones with access to the impossible realm. As the church, it is our responsibility to fix the impossible things. I want to read to you something today that I often use because it stirs and fuels my fire when I see something impossible that is offensive to our God. You all know the story of David and Goliath. You all know about the giant that intimidated God's people while mocking them and defying them. And you all know how the majority of believers responded in fear and intimidation and in retreat. But one man knew his God, knew the power of his father, and he saw it differently. David looked at the giant and he said, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in heaven. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into my hands. This is our response to the crushing weight of injustice. We are to stand up and defy something that wants to crush children made in God's image. We are to defy it. We are not to cower before it. Church, when we talk about the poor and speaking up for the poor, we're not talking about us being up here and then being down here. We're not separate. We're one. We don't have time to go through every scripture that would defend that to say that we are one with the poor. They are part of us. We're not better. They're not worse. We are one. Think a minute about the Lord's Prayer. This is a prayer that Jesus taught us. How many times do you hear me, I, and mine in there? Think about it. What does the Lord's Prayer tell us? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us. Not give me today my daily bread. Give us. We're one. We're connected to the poor. And it's my absolute privilege today to be able to be a voice for the poor. And here's what I think they would say to you. Thank you for what you've done in 2020. Thank you. But will you do it again?
this year is not going to be an easier year for them. Everyone's getting back on their feet and they've been crushed because they are poor. Imaginations Church, will you do it again? I know it hurt to give. I know you have sacrificed. I know I should be going to other people who have more capacity. But will you speak up? Will you do it again? Can I ask you to stand? I think a message like this calls for a response. We can't have people down because of social distancing, but we can still respond to the Lord, can't we? Yeah. Right. And I just want you to respond however seems suitable to you. Put your hands on your heart, reach your hands out and go, God, it's on me. I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it. It'll cost me. I'll offend people. People will get sick of my voice. But God, I'll do it again. Because it matters to you, I'll do it again. Our God is wonderful. And we have given you such a small glimpse of how much he cares about people and the cries that they have that no one hears. But when we join together, church, their cries will be heard on this earth. We will give voice until justice is done. And his Holy Spirit will help us. You watch him. Because he cares more than we do, more than we could ever imagine. Church, we love you. You are champions.